What did we just watch, Amy? We just watched Tick, Tick, Boom. And by just watched, I mean we just finished it. What? We're recording it just afterwards. What we're supposed to do. Yeah. But we, we don't sometimes, always do that. Sometimes we take naps. So this is our first off-the-cuff first impressions of... Reactions. Reactions. In the moment. Um, without having a lot of prior knowledge about the movie or musical it's yeah. based on. I have a fair amount of knowledge about the musical. Okay. Only because I was a I was a teenager in the early 2000s. So. Let, let me rephrase. We have not prepared research no, for this. No research. We're only bringing our own personal our selves. Our own knowledge. And our cat. So... Uh, we will be spoiling things. If you want to watch it first, now is your chance to turn this off. Yes. Go watch Please it on Netflix, listening. available now, and come join us later. When so, we're going to talk about it. Our first impressions. Uh, okay. You want to start, Kevin? Yeah. Um, so, it's funny. It's particularly funny to me watching this musical the day after Stephen Sondheim dies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... And that, I gotta say, that colored my experience to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it colored it for the better. Oh. <laughs> um, and that, that being said, I love Tick, Tick, Boom. I like Tick, Tick, Boom, the musical, more than I like Rent the Musical. Um, I think it is it is raw in a way that Rent pretends to be. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's important. Um, but I think... Spoilers for Jonathan Larson's life? Uh, I think Jonathan Larson's very untimely death mythologized him to a greater extent than might have happened had he not died literally the night Brent was performed for the first time. I, I can see that. Um because he is he is very much a young new composer and and by that i mean like i think there are flashes of greatness again more so in tick tick boom than i think there are in rent um that tick tick boom the musical the musical the sorry not the film which which also premiered after his death because it only ever existed as a rock monologue before he died, and then they took the work and turned it into a three-person musical off-Broadway in 2001 with Raul Esparza. Mm-hmm. That sounds correct. Um, and two other people. And two other people. Whose name I don't, I don't know remember off, off the top of my head. I know Neil Patrick Harris has played the role at various points, and Lin-Manuel Miranda played it in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, which is not surprising considering he was, this was also a passion project of his to direct. Um, but all all of that is to say that um, we we mourn for what Jonathan Larson was not able to produce. I think we as a theater community because of how impactful Rent was, and to a certain extent how impactful Tick Tick Boom became after his death, which I think was more of a like grasp for something to follow Rent with. But. Um, it made me more sad about Sondheim dying. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. Because I, because Sondheim did have such a career. And he was able to... And, and Sondheim was a mentor to Larson. Like, more so than I think even the film indicates. 
um, you know, he helped him become. And so it's... So it made you sad to think about what Larson didn't create? Um... Or it just it's, made you bad, sad about Sondheim. It made me Sa- sad about Sondheim. Sad about Sondheim. Larson was never able to reach the heights of Sondheim. And yes. sort of the the earth-shatteringly good pieces that Sondheim created over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you could ever or would ever want to do this musical for Sondheim. I think he's too big for that. You wouldn't do this musical for a Sondheim? Well, you wouldn't... You Like, a Sondheim biopic sounds like a terrible idea. Oh, I'm sure that there's one in the works. Oh, of course there is. I'm sure and it's someone a terrible has thought idea. about that. But Larson is so unique in that he wrote his own biopic to a certain extent. Oh. Whether or not this is a biopic is a irrelevant question i think but he wrote all of the songs and they were all very much based in his experiences more so than rent okay well you're starting out on kind of a bummer i am uh i'm sorry i love the music of tick tick boom i think uh andrew garfield was amazing i think he did a fantastic job and if you had told me he couldn't sing before getting this role i would not have believed you there, is that more exciting there, and happy? That's more, that's more exciting. <laughs> you know me. Sometimes we just kind of focus on the negatives. Well, I tried to do the positive first. Okay, okay. To the positive first. What were your positive things? Um, so this is what I was going to say. Uh-huh. Now get out your notebook. I told Kevin before the show I have one thing to say. Yeah. Uh, for the whole I don't podcast. think I got it right based on this last five minutes <laughs> of conversation. But keep going. I told you it was very simple. But uh-huh. you, you... I said... What I was going to say is, this is really excellent. Oh. This is, a uh, Miranda knocked it out of the park for his first directorial <laughs> debut, and Garfield was great, and that's mostly what I have to say about the film. Go watch it. It's, it's so good. It's very good. What did you write down? That's not what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was projecting a little bit. Um... That's why I predicted this might be a short episode, because that oh. was the one thing that I yeah. had to say. I agree. Those are all true. Lin-Manuel Miranda knocked it out of the park. I did not expect him to be this good on a first outing as a director. I mean, can we talk about, is Lin-Manuel Miranda bad <laughs> Probably. He has to be, right? Probably bad at some Something. things. But your first your directorial <laughs> debut yeah film director you, like was like, not what i expected to be in his repertoire it just everything about it was was good from mm-hmm. I, I feel like it from a i from a directing standpoint i'm sure um if i knew more about film directing i could find mm-hmm. some things to yeah well to yeah look at. well it's like i don't know that i would go give miranda a hitchcock script to direct tomorrow but he knows musicals so well that he can imbue that passion and match it with relevant skill mm-hmm. for the creation of a movie musical, um, which is not always the same thing. And I've watched a lot of bad movie musicals over the years. Uh-huh. Um, and so often, the fact... Hmm? Often starring actors who have never sung before, who can't yes. sing. Uh, <laughs> and this time we have Andrew Garfield, who has never sung before, also... You can't tell. No, he he, he was amazing. Pulls it off. I I was completely impressed by him. 
Um, I guess most of my my critiques or criticisms of this are not of the film, but uh, are of the mythologization of, of Jonathan Jonathan Larson. Larson and how this plays into that, which is not a a craft thing or a structure thing. It's part of the larger conversation that exists around Jonathan Larson. Um, because the thing I wrote um, was this film is too in love with Jonathan Larson. Um, which is okay. It's okay to be in love with Jonathan Larson. You know, Miranda idolized him and still does, I'm sure, to a certain extent. And is the reason Hamilton exists in no small part due to seeing... Jonathan Larson performed Tick, Tick, Boom as a rock monologue when he was 17 years old. Like that's, or Rent first. You saw Rent and then the other one because nobody had seen Tick, Tick, Boom. The timeline is not as important right now. Um, and so I think that's important. But I also, like, a lot of the criticisms that exist of Rent, which this reminded me of, intentionally so, is that Rent sometimes focuses on the wrong people. Yeah, well, I mean, the criticisms of Rhett have really come out maybe in the last five to ten years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where we've been more critical about who it looks at, mm -hmm. um, the privilege that the two main, Roger and Mark, Mark have yes. um, as cis white men mm -hmm. in, in being able to live the bohemian lifestyle. Um, problems with the storyline between Roger and Mimi. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, there are also the really bad criticisms was of the film. Yes, the film the, has the got film lots of problems. Characterizes via filmmaking techniques um, poorly. Yes, but no, the, the that's that sort of critique and stuff that exists in twenty twenty one when we're recording this, because that's apparently the year now. Yeah, it's almost over. Doesn't feel like it touched the production of this musical. I don't think it was meant to. I don't know that it was meant to, but I, I almost expected an acknowledgement of that. I mean, not of the criticisms, but like, this musical spends a significant portion of its runtime about how Jonathan Larson is sad all of his friends have AIDS. Yes. And it doesn't really acknowledge or or give their perspective at all. And that's... I don't think you're me meeting this movie where it's at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, you wanted... Okay, you wanted the perspective on AIDS because that's a critique of Rent? Is that's that not why I wanted the perspective. But I, when watching the movie and seeing... Was it Michael was the character? Michael is his best his friend. His best friend. Who who has HIV positive yes. reveals. And, like, I was less sympathetic to Jonathan Larson than I was to Michael, and the movie felt like it wanted me to be sympathetic more to Jonathan Larson, or through his perspective. Oh, I, I felt more sympathetic to Michael, like, I felt like Jonathan Larson was being a jerk. But the pointed to him how he is being a jerk to his his friends and his girlfriend where he's trying to finish out this musical and then the rest and, of the movie is about him finishing out the musical yeah 
it doesn't it doesn't grapple with any consequences for that. That's true. It doesn't because it goes because it's told from the tick tick boom uh, autobiographical musical perspective. Mm-hmm. So you know he goes on to do something that is more successful mm-hmm. than his failed superbia. Yes, dystopian musical. Mm-hmm. And. Yes, he was going Suspiria or Superbia. Superbia. It's a bad name. Like Suburbia, but with a P. Yeah. Um, We know that is not going to be successful because we've never heard of that. We've heard of Rent. Um, I don't. It. It. When you have a rock monologue that is trapped in one person's perspective, I get that a little bit more. When you take it to the film space, you have an opportunity to show those perspectives. You have an opportunity to see things from other lights. And this did not make the decision to do so. I see what you're saying. It doesn't bother me. Okay. It doesn't have to. (laughs) We don't have to agree on everything, Amy. Oh, okay. That's a relief. That's a relief. Well, because it is a... It's... From his perspective, solely, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to get much character development from other characters. Mm-hmm. Well, it, so I think it's a step back from the Broadway musical where you get that more. Um, you know, in, in the Broadway, you get more songs from Michael. You get more songs from Susan. Well, you should have started with that. That then that makes well, that's that's what I'm bringing sense. to the table. <laughs> that makes more sense of the critique you just because made. when it when it transitioned from being a rock music or a rock monologue, as we referred to Please it. Please excuse our cat yeah. making noise in the background. She's a cat. Um, it went from a rock monologue to a three person show, and that's where more of the story existed or was created. And it and it, there's intentionally ambiguity in that the characters in Tick Tick Boom the stage musical are not Jonathan Larson and the other people in his life. They are named differently that you know, it's not just strictly a Romana Clef where it's like, oh this person's this person, this person's this person. That is true, but it's there's a separation that is created intentionally so so it's not like jonathan larson complaining about his girlfriend for two hours um and you get i think more of their personality and more of their story that's at least been my experience from listening to the off-broadway soundtrack 15 years ago well maybe they didn't want to take what are semi-fictionalized versions if they're not directly based on the two characters from the three-person musical Mm -hmm. then they didn't want to take who are slightly fictionalized versions of Susan and Michael. Well, so Susan and Michael are the fictionalized versions. Okay. That's not the original person's name. So they took the names from the Broadway musical. Ah. But but implied more, well, oh, well, this is based on this guy, or this is based on this woman. And that is true, but by explicitly making the main character Jonathan Larson instead of John, as he was just named in there, you're then creating that connection. So you are now removing a real person from the musical in a way that when it's fictionalized becomes more acceptable to me? I don't know. Okay. 
then your critique makes a lot more sense knowing that. Okay. Because I thought we were getting... I knew that they had done a three-person version, but mm -hmm. I figured it was like what you see in the film where it's kind of two backup singers and one main. Yeah. I thought we were getting the numbers from the musical. Well, and most directly. of the numbers were from the musical, but they were but, often sung by different people. Or in... And not all of them. Not yes. all of the songs. Yeah. Um... Because, well, like, they cut Green Green Dress, which I think is a shame because I love that song. Um, you get the you get it in the credits and you get the sort of, like, punk rock version when they're having sex, which is a disappointing. But that's a Susan song. Um, you know, you do get Therapy, but Therapy was played in a weird way. And I don't... Like, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. But I think it removed some of the, the humanity from it by having Vanessa Hudgens sing it instead of... Susan. Um, they got sugar. Which one is therapy? Which one was that? That's the one where the two of them are sitting on the stools arguing. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a very clever way to, to film that and to stage it and sort of do the subtext text sort of thing. Um, but the song therapy is very much about how these two people can't talk to each other. And so to overlay that of a failure of communication works really well. Um, but when you put Vanessa Hudgens, who's performing Susan in the stage version within the larger film, the separation, in my case, felt like it was too far removed mm -hmm. from the woman we were seeing portrayed on screen. And it felt like a parody of her, almost. That's what I thought. Um, now I know how people feel when they listen to us pick apart a movie. <laughs> and it makes it sound like... Like, we didn't like any part of it. We're like, no, we love this movie. We just had all these other things to say about it, too. Yeah. They also yeah. cut uh, Sugar, which was a uh, multiple-part song. We heard a little snippet of it when he's he's joking about, I can write a song about anything. I can write a song about Sugar. Like, mm -hmm. that was the song Sugar from this. Um, so things things like that that just made me feel further removed from these actors, both of whom did a really good job. Um, Susan and Michael, I think, were really good. Mm -hmm. um, it, I just wanted more of them. <laughs> um, which is not what the film wanted to do, and I acknowledge that. I I just felt like it was missing some of that. Um, and then they added songs, like all of the added songs were about Jonathan Larson. They added Swimming, which, again, he wrote all of these, but he cut Swimming very early on in his workshopping of it. Um, and then they added two or three songs from Superior, which, like, are interesting and resonant, but they're resonant to Jonathan Larson's story. And so we're cutting songs to add more songs to make it more about Jonathan Larson rather than this sort of fictionalized John character mm. because we're trying to make it a biopic on top of also being this musical about... Well, how aware are you of the one person rock monologue that... Very Larson not. Did? Very not aware. So it's entirely possible it's coming from that. Um... 
I don't know. I don't, we don't know any research. I don't know if you have the, the story of how it was adapted into a three-person. I know it was done after he died. So yes. that's... But dramaturgically, what are, what are added and subtracted and split into different... I don't know anything that I haven't read in the Wikipedia page in the last 20 minutes. So... So this is when not doing any research comes back to bite yeah. us in the butt. Yeah. But that's what the show is, is Amy. It's just us sharing our initial reactions. Off the cuff. We reserve the right to be wrong. Um, I mean, I got the impression that this was re-referencing very heavily the rock monologue. Mm-hmm. Not as much from a filmic Yes, standpoint. I think that's probably true. And so I don't know. And so, but, and when you do that, it then makes it more of a one person show. And so you become more limited in scope. Which is why I thought it was limited to. Mm hmm. Jonathan Larson is the. The only character. The only character. It's from his perspective. Yeah. The other characters are set pieces to his story. Yes. Um, but then, like, again. I really enjoyed this musical. I want to watch it again. <laughs> Should start with that. I know, I know. Uh, but when you have Come to Your Senses being sung by Susan and also Vanessa Hudgens, whose character is given a name in the film, but I cannot remember it. Um, oh. Like, it's very much like, oh, I finally see this person who I've been neglecting this whole time through the music I wrote for her. Caressa. Caressa is Vanessa Hudgens' name. name. Okay. Um, which felt funny to me. Not necessarily incorrect or untrue to the character, because Jonathan Larson has the character in this This. Is portrayed as kind of a self-centered asshole sometimes. Um, so having him like have this deep realization about what he really cares about by listening to a woman sing the song he wrote is funny to me. And I don't think the movie knows that it's kind of funny. Does that make sense? I didn't... Th- we're talking about when Vanessa Hudgens sings the song... Yes, but he's like, but I didn't hear Caressa singing it. I heard Susan, and it cuts to this fantasy version of Susan on the rooftop singing the song to him as well. Um, Of what was a fantasy inside of a flashback, if we're reading the film particularly literally at that moment. Um, Because he's flashing back while he's doing the performance on stage, and that's what all the in-between scenes are. That's just my interpretation of that. But... Mm. The so having a character who is like struggling over this entire song and he puts it together, and then only then can he truly see what the woman in his life means to him. I don't know, I thought it was kind of goofy, but all musicals are kind of goofy. I didn't have, I didn't think about it. Well, good, it worked on you. (laughs) I didn't. I felt like, we plot-wise, we were due for a realization around that moment. Yeah, structurally, absolutely. So, and it <laughs> but, was, and it was the song that. Structurally, it was the second act structurally in you know, his musical where the. See, I thought the parallel was 
in the musical, the song that he had just written mm-hmm. needed to be in the second act, which sung by the girlfriend yes. in the musical because the main character has a big decision to make. Yes. And then in the the film, in the larger scope of the film, it fulfills it when his girlfriend sees yes. his girlfriend singing it when he has to make Yes, a major decision. all of those things are very true and very good. It's just got this little susan of irony on top of it because he wrote the song. Both Jonathan, the character in the story, and Jonathan Larson wrote this song to accomplish that goal about how you've got to make a decision in this moment. And then he uses it to come to a realization. Like, there's, a, there's an irony there. Yeah, but I think that's also a part of the creative process is you discover the thing that you wrote that you didn't know is completely about you <laughs> is actually completely about you. Yeah. And not the thing you thought you were writing about. <laughs> that that may be true. <laughs> that's how I read it. Okay. Because so much of the film is about the creative process. Yes. Um, and making art and mm-hmm. sticking with it and failure and mm-hmm. sacrifice and um, stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> making, making bad decisions. Yeah. Can I tell you a part I loved? Sure. Tell since, me a part you Since you, you loved. think I hate this movie now? I don't <laughs> think you hate it. I just have a new appreciation for when people listen to us talk about things. <laughs> I think we must hate every every single thing we watch because we have so many things to say. I loved every single second of the segment Sunday in the diner. Yes, that was my favorite. I thought every moment of that was absolutely perfect. I have no notes. It references Sunday in the Park with George, which is referenced earlier. Yeah, well, and, and like that song is from Tick, Tick, Boom, the stage musical. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that's what happened, because I... I heard Tick, Tick, Boom before I ever heard Sunday in the Park with George. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, ah, it's kind of a clever song about, you know, working in the diner, I guess. But then putting it in the context of, like, he idolizes Stephen Sondheim, and this is very important, and so doing this sort of loving homage um, was fantastic. Yes, yes. And in the credits, I noticed it was written by both Sondheim. And well, Sondheim is credited. Yeah, because he wrote the melody. That's, that is, the the song Sunday is the act one finale of Sunday in the Park with George. So they were meshing it together. So, well, he just, he wrote new lyrics. Mm-hmm. That's really what it was. He took the melody and the uh, song Sunday from Sunday in the Park with George and rewrote the lyrics to be about... I got that they were similar, but I didn't get that similar because I'm not as yeah. aware of. Um, you'd have to you'd have to listen to both of them Sunday. side by side, and you can go, "Oh yeah, that is the same song." But that was the song with all the cameos. Every cameo. Cam- well, no, other cameos appeared in other parts of the film, but you just like every single person. Yeah, like, oh, every customer in this entire person, thing is person, like like person. are these all famous people just coming to this one diner? Yes, I I pulled it up to read some of. Some of the people that I recognize. Yes. Andrea Shields, B.B. Newworth, Brian mm-hmm. Stokes Mitchell. I didn't notice Cheetah Rivera, but th- at that point there were there so were many... So, it was overwhelming. ...things happening. <laughs> um, and I didn't notice Joel Gray. Um, I didn't notice Joel Gray. Uh, again, like... 
I was spending time thinking about who are these other people. Renee Elise Goldsberry yes, and Philippa Sue. I recognize them. Um, Felicia Rashad, mm-hmm. Bernadette Peters. Mm-hmm. I cried when Bernadette Peters showed up. <laughs> Which was great, because earlier he and Michael had been watching a PBS airing of the film of Sunday in the mm-hmm. Park with George, and they were talking about Bernadette Peters, and it, and they were singing Sunday yeah. in that, so to call back oh. to that was oh. really great, really great story. Right in the heart. There are other people that I didn't recognize, mm-hmm. Beth Malone, Chuck Cooper, Howard McGillan, um, and then the three Bums. bums. Adam Pascal, Daphne Rubin Vega, and Wilson Germain. They're all from Rent. Yeah. 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 Which I would know if I were a, a, bigger, a bigger musical theater fan yeah. than, than I am. Yeah. I. Then having the diner wall open up, uh, out, so it spread out. It became and, a stage. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, beautiful, beautiful moment. Nailed it. Perfect 100%. So good. <laughs> So, so good. Yes. Um, and felt, again, because Sondheim died yesterday, it felt like a very touching tribute. Yes. Intentionally or otherwise. I mean, it was always meant to be a bit of a tribute to Sondheim, but it it particularly hit home. Yes. Well, I'm watching, I had watched, I think we had watched Miranda on, on being interviewed with yes. one of the late Seth. nights. With Seth Myers and talking about... Um, Consulting with Sondheim mm-hmm. on the film and um, how when he leaves the voicemail, not voicemail, we didn't have voicemail then. It's he, a message answering on his machine, answering machine. <laughs> on his answering machine, um, Sondheim saying, I wouldn't say that. What you have in the script, I, I wouldn't say. So if you can't get your actor to re-record it. I'll just record it for I'll you. Record. And Miranda being like, nope. Couldn't can't get, get him. Couldn't get that other actor. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> so I was watching, watching mm-hmm. for that as well. Yeah, and it was it was Sondheim on the answering machine. Although uh, Bradley Whitford nailed the Sondheim, the, the gestures, the mannerisms. The like he had mm-hmm. very few lines, and even like he sounded like Sondheim, but just yeah. it just had the presence of Sondheim mm-hmm. for a relatively small role. It was it was brilliant. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I enjoyed getting to see. And Richard Kind was there just to be funny, and it was great. <laughs> yeah, the scene when they're in the, the musical the workshop. theater workshop, yeah. and they're the two, not judges, but feedback givers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard Kind's character is like, nope, nope, I don't like this. I'm, this Doesn't make no, any sense. Bad, bad. And Sondheim's like, actually, I really I think enjoyed it, was great. it. There's a lot of potential here. Richard Kind's character going, oh, yes, yes. That's exactly what I mean. (laughs) That was a great little moment. Um, I felt like there were little kind of Easter eggs calling to rent, like the answering machine stuff. Oh, the answering machine stuff, absolutely. Um, There were a couple of other things that I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I didn't write them down. Did I write them down? Yeah, there were lots of little, like... It's funny, like, you almost wanted it to be an Easter egg... And it, it successfully thread this needle. So one of my favorite jokes in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, is that something will happen to John C. Riley's character. John C. Riley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
his character, and he'll go, he'll stop and he'll pause and he'll go, that's a great idea for a song. Cut to him, like, singing a song about that, uh, which is making fun of the times that happened in, like, Ray or the, um... Uh, the Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. We're going to say Johnny Carson. I'm like, he didn't write country music. Johnny Cash movies. Mm-hmm. That that was very much spoofing. And this was almost doing that a couple of times. Um, but it, it succeeded in not being sort of too schmaltzy about it. Because if you didn't know, like, oh, this is a thing that comes up again in Rent. It worked in the moment anyway. <laughs> I think, too, maybe I was noticing in some of the songs to themes mm-hmm. that are very similar. Oh, yeah. Like, when he's at the birthday party singing... A, it's basically... It's Boho Days is the name of the song. Yeah, so it's like the song in Rent where they are singing yes. about the Bohemian <laughs> lifestyle. And, and I can't remember what that song... Uh, La Vie Bohème. La Vie Bohème. Yes. Uh, no, it absolutely. And that that wasn't the film making that connection. That just that's just the song. The is songs like, Jonathan Larson's writing, <laughs> as you can notice with many composers. Yeah, and themes and things show up down the line. Of and, course, and the things that they create. Yeah, um, I do love almost every single song in this musical. Excuse me, this musical. So I could just list the songs and go, yeah, that's a great song, and that's a great song. Boho Days, Thirty Ninety. Green Green Dress, which they cut and I'm mad about. Uh, Sunday. All the songs. All good songs. Jonathan Larson wrote good songs. Mm-hmm. He wrote... I have a new appreciation yeah. for Jonathan Larson. Well, good. That's what the movie wants. I wasn't um, into Rent. Mm-hmm. I'm still not into Rent. I mean, I like Rent. I would go see Rent. <laughs> but I missed the boat, basically. Yes. Uh, Rent, like, like so many things, if you didn't hit it at the right moment in your life, yes. you go, yeah, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> I appreciate it where it stands in musical theater history and what it did yeah. um, for musical theater. Yeah, but if you weren't an angsty teenager in the late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, I was. listening to Rent, yeah, but I wasn't listening to it doesn't theater, hit the same way. So. Good stuff. I like Rent. We, we sang 525,600 minutes every year in high school chorus. Every year. I think it was one of our graduations. I wouldn't be surprised. Sing. So everyone else in the chorus was really into Rent. Some people. Yeah. Some they, were, they were around. They, they, yes, there were, there were some around. <laughs> oh. Rent was the first double album I ever owned. And it came on two discs because it was so long. Oh, wow. I think that was followed by uh, Sweeney Todd was also like the second. There are other musicals. There are. Rent just happened to be the first one I bought. (laughs) Um, I think I'm also enjoying it thinking about the creative process because we were watching the Beatles documentary by Mm -hmm. Peter Jackson, which is all creative process. Yeah, fascinating. So to see those (laughs) films kind of... um, together the same weekend mm-hmm. is, is making me um, think about it. Um, yeah, I appreciate that he fails. Yeah. You know you know, going in, eventually he's going to have this huge success me, uh, that he's largely not going to see. Mm-hmm. So you know that going in, but to, to see him fail. And then, two when they, one of the last shots they have is going into the 
um, theater for the Tick, Tick, Boom performance, and you see on the door, the tickets prices have been slashed yeah. from like 20 to, to $10. Like $10. So still he's having this Tick, Tick, Boom that we're, we've kind of been watching the whole time is mm-hmm. not, you know, super successful. No. It's not something you can get your hands on now. You can the the musical that was made in the early 2000s. Yeah, but there are death, like but... the only recordings of of Larson doing it are like handheld grainy VHS. Yeah, so you don't have access to this. So that wasn't a huge success. Yeah. By any means. So you see it's not a failure. I mean, we kind of have to redefine what failure. Yes. It was not commercially means. successful in the moment. Well, even in Superbia does not picked up by any producers. Yeah, and produced. and as far as I know, has never been. Yeah, but it like, wasn't a waste of time. If no. he had done that, then he wouldn't do the future thing. Yes. So reframing it like that, I think, is very important for artists to hear. Especially, not necessarily young artists, but artists who are beginning. Mm-hmm. Are more towards the beginning of their careers. Yes. Which, you don't have to be a young person. I know he's... The whole thing is he's very... <laughs> he's turning 30. 30 and he's He's not, turning 30, oh no! I gotta think... <laughs> oh. oh, the naivete yeah. of, of I mean, to be fair, Tick Tick Boom made me also very much stress about turning 30. Is creeping around the corner. Okay. And like, there yeah. are lots of things that I feel like I should have accomplished by forty that um, may not happen mm-hmm. in the next few years. Um, also, Andrew Garfield is is thirty eight or thirty nine. Yeah, which is an interesting thing after just Dear Evan Hansen coming out and everybody <laughs> just lambasting it for Ben Platt. Yes, is that his name being ten years older. Yeah, our cat is... He's 10 years older, but he looks 20. But he looks... No, he, he looks, looks... 20 years older. Yes. <laughs> than the teenage character he yes. plays. But here you have an actor who's 10 years older than, than the character he's playing, and it works. Yeah. But there's also, I think, a difference between 30 and 38 than there is between 18 and 26. That's fair. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was good. I'm sorry I'd started on a down note and complained about things. <laughs> well, now I have a better understanding of where you are. Yeah, that's why we talk about stuff, coming, so we understand. The greater knowledge of, of the three-person musical. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I have a lot else. I mean, there is the parallel. He's... You know, ticking down to this 30th birthday while there's also the imagery and reminders of AIDS being present. Mm-hmm. Um, your time being on a clock when you become HIV positive. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a countdown until your death. Yes. Um, but again, that's the AIDS symbolism, parallelism that, that the movie's kind of telling is served in the purpose of Larson's story, not in the larger like pandemic than AIDS was. Right, not talking about the larger pandemic. I, I'm agreeing with what you're yeah. saying there. It, it, it that it is serving Larson. I'm not <laughs> bother me for what the film was Which trying is fair. to do. Which is fair. 
Um, because yes, it it's that is the the one of the biggest critiques of Mark in Rent is that he could walk away from all of this. Mm-hmm. He he idealizes this bohemian world coming from a place of privilege and able to get a good job and parents that support him no matter what um, and is never directly impacted by AIDS. Mm-hmm. He has friends who are dying of AIDS, but he's not. And that is a parallel to Jonathan Larson's life. Yes. You know, I think I can't speak for... And that can be made very much in the representation of him in this film. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's, because um, obviously I knew Rent before I knew who Jonathan Larson was, really. When I learned that Jonathan Larson died right before the premiere of Rent, I assumed for a long time it was from AIDS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it wasn't has always been weird to me. Mm-hmm. Not that I think he should have gotten AIDS, but it it casts the show in a different light when you think that's how Jonathan Larson Mm -hmm. died. (laughs) Well, it would have been very, I'm not sure what the right word is, perhaps poetic for the artist to die of the disease that's being portrayed in the musical. Yes. He writes. It would would not be good, but it would be poetic. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good, but there's something like epic. Mm -hmm. Like, Operatic. Yes. About that. Like La Boheme. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't that. And that's okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, it feels. I feel like I say this every time I see a Lin Manuel Miranda production and I feel a little bad, but like, man, I want to see what he does next. <laughs> Which every took on time. a new light in this performance. Well, we can because he did the music for Encanto. He did. He did the music for Encanto. Um, which I'm excited to see. I really love the music for Moana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great soundtrack. Yeah. And I'm hoping. I, I don't know. I don't really know the context that Encanto takes place in, culturally speaking. But one of the things I thought was really cool about uh, Moana was how much like Pacific Island music and musicians and mm-hmm. composers he brought in to be a part of that process mm-hmm. that lent it a lot of of honesty that made the songs even better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meow. Our, I mean, the last podcast we did... Had no cat. Had no cat in it. And this time, she has nearly been the star of the show. Yeah. The whole time. So, if you hear <laughs> lots of weird noises during this episode, that is why yeah. it is her. Yes. Yeah. It is you. Do you want to tell them about our Patreon felicity? No, she's busy getting okay. pets right now. Fair enough. So, um, she's not. But I will tell you about it. Oh, thanks, Amy. It. Uh, so, you have a Patreon at patreon.com slash five degrees. Oh, there she goes. Thanks, now she buddy. wants to tell us about it. Uh, you can be a patron and it is by episode, not monthly. So, and you can put a cap on it. So if we do 20 episodes one month and you're like, no, thank you. Um, you uh, get it. put a cap on it as a patron. You're two benefits. One is you get the super duper unedited, unedited podcast where you get the 
from the moment we turn on the mic to the moment we turn it off. Uh, you also get a list of movies we didn't watch, because usually Kevin will provide me a list with five movies, and I get to choose one from the list. Or I can always say, no, I don't want it. All of, of those these. movies are bad. <laughs> I do not feel like any of these today. Yeah. And we thank you for listening. The podcast will always be free. We believe podcasts should be freely available to all. And we have a cat. And we have a cat. Her name is Felicity. And she's sometimes on the podcast. Uh, apparently she's a little bit spoiled. We've been told. We've heard that. We've heard Further that. investigation required. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't spoil their cat, though? Lots of people, apparently. Oh, okay. All right. Did I get all of the I think you said all the things. Did we say where the Patreon is? On patreon.com slash five degrees. Okay, good. Now we've said it. Yes. I can't remember sometimes. We did say it. I said it before. Oh, good. Well, then, yes, you said all the things. Yes. Okay. Uh, say goodnight, Amy. Goodnight, Amy. <laughs>